So spatial SQL is is no different than your your standard SQL, right? You write it and many times we use a lot of the functions you use in standard SQL. What differentiates it is a, two data types, really. One is a geometry and one is a geography. How it's used in GIS today is uh, very interesting. I see it from maintaining a central enterprise database of geospatial data. Um, people use it to maintain and manipulate geometries and create geometries programmatically. Um, I think the most emergent space is you know, geospatial data engineering. SQL is one of the core toolkits of data engineers, and I see more and more it being used uh, you know, from the data engineering space or managing large amounts of ge geospatial data. Hello, welcome to another um, episode of the Geospatial Africa podcast. Um, to this episode, I'll be talking to Matt Forrest um, about special SQL. So before we get started, let's just um, get diving. Hi, Matt. Uh, thank you for you know, agreeing to do this podcast with me. It's really uh, something I was really, really looking forward to. And I think it's going to be interesting uh, both for me and uh, the listeners as well. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, uh, so before we start, uh, you know, talking about uh, special SQL, could you tell us a little about yourself, how you got into just special, and, and what you're currently uh, working on? Yeah. Um, so I got into geospatial and GIS um, when I was at college. Uh, so I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin, and sort of by accident ended up in the geography program. I was not sure what I wanted to major in, and, and the advisor suggested I check out geography, and I did, and uh, I liked it. And so I did a lot of different things, but um, ended up really enjoying kind of the analytical and, and also the cartographic side of it. Um, so, you know, I, I had a pretty traditional, you know, geospatial or GIS, you know, education. Um after I graduated, after about two years, I moved to New York City and, and met a lot of folks out here that were really working um, on open source and, and different tools. And, and there was a lot happening at the time, you know, where different companies were being formed and products were being built, like Mapbox and, uh, you know, PostGIS was really starting to take off and, and ultimately Cardo, where um, I met Javier De La Torre, who was one of the founders. Um, I started using Cardo and then eventually uh, just joined the company, which is where I've been for just over seven years. Um, and what I do there today uh, is I head up our solutions engineering team. So what that sort of looks like is really just using our tools, working with customers, and ultimately kind of working on a lot of spatial analytics uh, day in and day out. So um, I, I get to see a lot of different things and work on many different problems, which is the really fun part. Um, and I get to do you know, kind of what I enjoy. So I'm, I, in that sense, I, I count myself pretty lucky. So, Awesome. I think that's really um, a great background there, you know, coming from, you know, from school, doing geography, and then, you know, being able to work with these um, amazing companies to, to build solutions that people are using. You know, I actually wanted to talk about, you know, what your, your role as a VP solutions is, but I think you already touched on that. And I think that's, that's really great. And, and you know, a lot of people don't get to enjoy what you do, but I think it's, you know, like you said, you're really, you know, lucky to be able to actually do what you love every, every day. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, I, I get to go to work, I get to enjoy what I do, and, and I get to actually use the skills, many of which I, I learn. 
I've been able to learn a lot, but there's also a lot of new things that I continue to learn every day. So it keeps you on your toes. And I mean, I, I think that's one of the parts I love the most is just constantly learning and trying new things and then, you know, engaging with the really amazing global community that, you know, uh, talks about and interacts around geospatial. Uh, it's really fun. Yeah, I agree. And and I think for that could be, you know, attested to the fact that, you know, you're always active on LinkedIn. I mean, you're always sharing things you, you learn or things you found. And I think that's really, really interesting to, to see. And I'm sure a lot of people um, who have seen your posts are also learning a lot, you know, as, because you're sharing what, what you, you've learned and what you know. So I think that's really uh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. But... Thank you so much for that, actually. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I mean, it really started out of just that. Like I, I was able to learn a lot from people around me and just kind of wanted to, uh, you know, give it back a little bit. And um, it, it's been pretty crazy, the uh, the response. So um, it's been fun and um, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad it's useful. So yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so one of the things that you, you know, you talk about quite a lot is special SQL. Right. So that that's what, you know, this podcast is really about, just to, to talk about it and try and see how we, we can get a lot of people on board, you know, to want to understand more. So, of course, before we talk about special SQL, right, uh, there's always a SQL. So uh, what is SQL and, and why is it, you know, why is SQL important when working with data? So we're talking about generally now SQL as, you know, the backbone of a special. So SQL um, it generally shows up as the acronym SQL, um, which stands for Structured Query Language. And uh, it, it was developed, I think, in the 70s and as primarily a way to you know, query and retrieve data. Um, it's evolved quite a lot since then um, you know, into pretty much a, a standard around using and interacting with data. Um, there's a brief period maybe in the... 2010s when there was this thing called NoSQL, um, which is sort of not only SQL or NoSQL, but it was a sort of a non-standard tabular database. It was nested data that looks more like JSON. And it, it was good at handling sort of large data uh, to a certain degree, but SQL kind of came roaring back when uh, cloud companies started to develop uh, data warehouses, which we'll talk a little bit about. But um, it, it's very important because it allows you a very structured, readable way to interact and query data. Um, you can also perform common you know, sort of CRUD operations. So your inserts, you know, updates, deletes, things like that, uh, you know, with a database. Um, so you can manage lots of different data um, with that. And it gives, like I said, it gives you a very controlled way to actually interact with that data. Um, so that that's sort of what SQL as a whole is. It's, like I said, it's become very popular. And when you look at, you know, top skills that, you know, employers are looking for, especially in analytics and now more so in geospatial analytics, uh, SQL, you know, tends to pop up and be right up there with Python or any other toolkit that you might see. So um, I, I think it's going to become more and more a core part of, you know, the geospatial toolkit as things evolve over time. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that because we, we're seeing, um, like you mentioned, SQL is also a rising um, tool that's been used alongside other geospatial tools. So let, let's now dive into talking about special SQL because that we, we, I mean, you've, you've done justice to explain what um, SQL is and, and why it's important when working with data. So uh, you talk a lot about modern GIS, right? So there was a podcast you had with um, Daniel where you talked about modern GIS and you write about it a lot, you know, 
so special SQL is actually one of the toolbox in modern JS, right, alongside Python and other tools. So what is special SQL and could you could you maybe provide an overview of what you know it is and how it's being used in GIS, which are special? Yeah, so spatial SQL is is no different than your your standard SQL, right? You write it and many times we'll use a lot of the functions you use in standard SQL. What differentiates it is a, two data types, really. One is a geometry and one is a geography. So a geometry is sort of your projected data and your geography is your data, you know, on the round surface of the earth. So those two data types go alongside met every other data type you have, you know, things like strings, numbers, floats, booleans, dates, uh, arrays, so on and so forth. So you just have another data type that you work with. Now, of course, you need different functions to work with that data, um, just as you would have different functions for those other data types. And that has been standardized by OGC, I think, since 2003. Um, so there's a, a, a standard for the spatial SQL naming conventions and formats. And uh, you can go ahead and look it up, but effectively any function or the majority of them will start with the ST underscore, which stands for spatial type. So that's why you see all the functions ST intersects or ST as text. You see uh, those are spatial SQL and that's the standardized language that they use. Now that can vary bit by bit if there's a specialized function in, in one language versus another. Um, but for the most part, there's a core set that are standardized across all of them. And Spatial SQL allows you to do everything that you would do in a database, but with geographic data. A simple example is, you know, in, in a database, you could, you know, let's say you have a, a data set of records and there's, a, you know, kind of a time component of it. And you want to aggregate, you know, a, a numeric value, let's say, you know, total sales month over month, right? So you can group it by the date, pull out the month from that date and say group it by that. Same type of thing with your geospatial data, but what we might more commonly know as a union, you can do in union geometries together with a common value. So if you want to grab all the counties within a U.S. state and aggregate them that way in a spatial union, you can do that with uh, a different function called STUnion. So there's lots of different ways to do that and uh, lots of functions to actually work with geospatial data. How it's used in GIS today, uh, I think, is uh, very interesting. I see it from maintaining a central enterprise database of geospatial data. Um, people use it to maintain and manipulate geometries and create geometries programmatically. Uh, people use it for analytics. Uh, people use it for transactional you know, data that's coming from maybe a web application or somewhere else. Um, all the way up to big data systems to you know, manage large, large amounts of data in a data warehouse or something like that. Um, I think the most emergent space is you know, geospatial data engineering. SQL is one of the core toolkits of data engineers, and I see more and more it being used, uh, you know, from the data engineering space or managing large amounts of geospatial data. All right, great. Thank you so much for that. I think you've touched on, you know, a lot of subject there. You talked about how um, SQL is a little bit different from from um, special SQL. So, so special SQL is like, you know, an extension of SQL to, to support geographic uh, data types. Right, and I think I think that's that's really great. And you talked about you know the different things that could be done with special SQL, and I think it's a lot to unpack, right? And someone who's listening might you know who wants to dive into learning might um, feel like oh it's a, a lot, it's overwhelming. So I mean you've worked with special SQL. So what do you think are the common challenges or pitfalls that you know users might encounter when you know working with uh, special SQL? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, for me, the first one is 
getting started setting up a database, right? Um, unless you already have access to a database and, uh, you know, an interface to interact with that database, it can be pretty tricky. Um, you know, if you've never worked with the command line, uh, you go to a website and that's kind of some of the first things you do. Um, it's gotten a lot easier, I would say, but that's historically one of the, the first kind of roadblocks. Um, more and more PostGIS is, has, you know, sort of uh, user interface installers that you can use. Um, so, you know, actually getting it on uh, your computer um, is quite easy. There's more cloud-based tools that allow you to do this um, for free to a certain point or for very inexpensive. Um, but that's one, you know, sort of pitfall is, okay, getting it up and running on your, on your computer. Uh, the second is, you know, importing data, right? In a traditional GIS setup, you just have your files and you open them in your desktop toolkit or somewhere else, right? So you can just actually open it up and, you know, start viewing that. In a database, you actually have to put data into the database. And that's something you have to do, or you can create it, right? But if you have a shape file or a GeoJSON or some of those files, you actually have to do something to get it in there. And, um, you know, you can use command line tools and things like ogre to ogre or, um, you know, there's a few other in native post-GIS tools to do that. But uh, QGIS has actually also made this a lot easier to, you know, import data that you've loaded into QGIS via the user interface. So uh, another step closer to making that a lot easier. And then the final one, of course, is is learning SQL. And I think this is a common challenge with everything geospatial is how much of a specific language or toolkit do I need to know to be really effective do I need to learn it all? How much time do I need to spend learning it? What's What are the things to focus on? Or how can I get there as fast as possible? And, and those are the three big hurdles, right? So getting installed, getting data in, and then actually learning SQL. Now, like I said, both of those first two have some uh, things that have been you know improved upon and made easier over the years, uh, as has learning SQL. Um, so you can actually learn SQL. There's a lot of great tutorials. Um, I, I have a video I put out about this on, on YouTube about free courses you can use right now to actually study and, and practice. Um, but the same can't be said as of the, the spatial toolkit. There are resources out there, but there's no kind of like, I haven't central resource on how to learn this. That's one big area I think is, is missing. Okay. All right, cool. Thank you. I think... Um... Uh, to summarize, so the, the pitfalls that you, you've pointed out is like, you know, getting um, SQL um, installed, you know, getting data in once you, you've installed that because that's not an issue itself, right? You can have it, but how do you, you know, load up data and start using it? And then learning to, to be able to write SQL commands and, you know, retrieve data the way you want them. So I think I think it's, it's something that, like you mentioned, some of these areas haven't been touched. There's still, you know, a lot to be done uh, in terms of just special. And I think... Um, we're going to touch on, on this uh, as the conversation goes on. So uh, I've read, you know, somewhere where uh, SQL, special SQL, um, is dubbed the, the GIS without GIS. Is this something you agree with? And, and um, how, how is special SQL being done in a GIS software? Because it's like you, what we talked about so far is that like, oh, you have to write command, right? You did mention the command line. So is there mm -hmm. any way to special SQL in GIS? Is it something that people are really doing and they don't know, oh, this is special SQL that I'm doing? Is that something you can talk about? Yeah. And and if we're thinking, you know, GIS, you know, if we if we equate that to the to a desktop software, right? Um, something like a QGIS. Um, that's sort of how I mean that's how I learned GIS was was using 
you know, ArcGIS and, and eventually QGIS. So, you know, that was, that's how I learned it. And, and I left school with very little coding experience. Um, so, you know, if, if we think of GIS as that desktop toolkit, then yes, you, you can do everything spatial analytics wise um, within a, you know, a, a spatial database that you could with a desktop toolkit. Um, there are still some things like some of the spatial analytics where um, some of that might be you know, a better fit for things like Python, but more and more that's coming into the spatial SQL place as data gets larger and larger. And when I talk about that is if you're not familiar with the Python spatial analysis library or PySAL, uh, a lot of those things, you know, are, are really good for Python, uh, but the data prep work can actually be done, you know, in PostGIS and then, you know, pulled over into Python. So th that's, I think, a, a very common workflow is people using a database plus Python or a Jupyter notebook. But like I said, you know, a, a data, spatial database can connect to your desktop GIS tools. Um, so you can certainly do that and take advantage of that scalability and power, um, you know, with a, a desktop tool. And that's what I love about it is you can download QGIS, install PostGIS, and be up and running with a very familiar interface between the two and start using it. And, and even within QGIS, there's sort of a visual query builder that you can actually use um, mm -hmm. to do that. You can actually you know, click buttons and kind of get a query spit out. Um, so there's all these things that are, are there to help you kind of tinker around with it and, and start. Now, making the leap to being fully proficient in writing your own queries, that's the fun part. Um, because once you know how to do that, you can start to blend data. You feel like you can do anything you want. You know, in a traditional setup, it's kind of, okay, first I need to click here, then I need to create a layer, then I need to click here again, or maybe I'm creating some, you know, very long workflow and like a model builder type tool or something like that. That becomes a lot easier in SQL as you can just start to script that out. So you can actually build that and do what you want in that way. Um, so getting to that level of, uh, you know, fluency takes time, but once you get there, you, you kind of feel like it's, it's some magic that you've never discovered before. It's just so fast and performant. That's the, that's what I really like about it. Yeah. It's like performing, um, uh, special analytics on, on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, yeah, you did mention something about, you know, you, running these, these queries on QGIS, you know, using a visual, you know, query builder. Apart from doing select by attribute, right? People do select by location. Is that anywhere, you know, a special SQL? You know, using you know traditional desktop GIS. Um, so you, I mean, yes. There within that interface, you can actually write the SQL, right? So you can you can open up a panel, you can write SQL and say, you know, select star, you know, from this table where this thing happens. You can do your joins, and you can do all kind. you can do any of those things with the data that's already in your database. So you're, you're ready to go and you, you can actually start using that. Um, so, you know, I, what I like about it is you can write queries in QGIS and then just add it as a layer, you know, so it's not just like, oh, I have this layer in this database and I just add that layer. You can actually create a version of that layer from a query and then put that into your map. So that's where I think it starts to get really powerful is when you're doing the analytics in the database and then, you know, basically letting the database do the heavy lifting. And when you think about it, the closer that data is to, you know, your, your data or your querying is to the actual database, um, you know, and, and the database is sort of compiled from, a, you know, from C in a very base language, um, that's going to be far more performant than doing analytics in memory on your computer. So this is more of the, you know, kind of the uh, computer science side behind all this, which I do find very interesting. I'm no expert, but um, the, the bits that I do understand is, you know, effectively being able to do all that 
within the context of a database, which is going to be incredibly fast and powerful and is optimized to do that one thing really well, um, is it, going to be far more performant. So yeah, you can do all that querying. You can get started with that visual query builder. And then as you build skills, it's just kind of taking bits and pieces from other things you've done and trying them out. Um, so you, you, it's, it's kind of that bridge. And I think that bridge is getting better and better for you know, folks that have come out of or learned a traditional GIS toolkit. Right. I totally agree um, because it's like you're, you're running um, the commands on the database itself, so you're closer to home, right? So it, it runs faster and it's more efficient than you know, doing it like, you know, through a connection or anything like that. So uh, so let's talk about uh, special support for, you know, SQL databases, right? For example, we have, uh, I think one of the most popular one is PostGIS, right? So so what is PostGIS and um, what other, base, other, other databases provide special support apart from, you know, Postgres, which is, um, you know, supported with PostGIS? Are there any other databases that, you know, support special um, queries? Mm-hmm. Um, the number has just increased rapidly. Um, PostGIS is probably the most prominent and well-known, um, I think, due to the development community around it. Um, there's a very, very active community and, and group of people who contribute to it and, and also use it. Um, it's open source, so anyone can actually download it and use it. Um, and I think it's also a very powerful tool. It probably has the, the most spatial functions available within it. Um, so that's why PostGIS is, is sort of, you know, grown in popularity. Like you said, it's the spatial extension, um, to PostgreSQL or Postgres, which is a, a different open source database that was developed by, um, one of the people that I, you know, is sort of like a godfather of databases from, uh, University of California, Berkeley. So, um, you know, he was actually instrumental in building all these databases in, you know, in the nineties and, uh, things that became, you know, I think it's like IBM DB2, um, which is a database that also has spatial care capabilities. Um, Oracle databases have spatial capabilities and have since the, I think the nineties or the two thousands. Um, and now all the major data warehouses are supporting that as well. So when I talk about a data warehouse, the difference between a data warehouse and a database in, in the simplest terms is that a database can be used for analytics, but is really designed for transactions, right? If you have like a Imagine you have an application, you're filling out a form and that data is getting inserted as new records or something like that. That's what a database is really good for. And coincidentally, it's also very good for analytics. Uh, a data warehouse explicitly is for is for analytics, right? So it's very focused, built on that. So it, it's performant for larger data sets and doing analytical type of queries. So, you know, selecting segments from where or aggregations of data and things like that. But BigQuery, um, which is Google Cloud's product, uh, Amazon Redshift, which is the AWS product, um, and Snowflake all support spatial queries. And then there's even more that are coming out, um, you know, that are supporting that as well. Um, there's Apache Sedona, um, which is the sort of spatial extension to Spark and the Spark ecosystem. So you can actually do spatial queries and things like that within Apache Sedona. Um, that project's gaining you know, a lot of popularity for very large data sets. Um, you can also do that with uh, these sort of you know, distributed query systems, uh, things like Trino and uh, PrestoDB are, are also supporting, you know, spatial uh, components as well. Um, and the other one I'll mention is Spatialite. Um, so it's, uh, you know, sort of the extension of uh, SQLite. Uh, you can actually use that as well. And that's also open source. So it's a very lightweight download and install compared to Postgres plus PostGIS, but um, also has spatial functionality and, and even MySQL does. So you're going to see it in just about any place you go. Now, the, how much between all of those is the same is uh, it's going to be it's hard to determine, but uh, certainly there's you know you 
you know, you can kind of compare and contrast, but Post.js is just popular, like I said, for those reasons I, I listed out earlier. All right, great. I think that's a very long list there. I probably haven't heard about some of them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's just growing in popularity. So more and more people are starting to use it, um, which which is cool. It's it's just grown so much. Yeah. Yeah, so I did uh, hear you mention something about, you know, cloud, right? So there's a lot of discussion around cloud native just special solutions, right? So I think any cloud-based uh, special SQL databases in the list you provided. And, and uh, if so, how do they work different from, from the one we have uh, installed in the computers? Yeah, so the three I mentioned um, are as data warehouses uh, could be considered cloud native. And that's, uh, car, you know, Google BigQuery, Amazon Redshift, and Snowflake. And what they do differently um, basically a data warehouse, uh, you know, like I said, it's meant for analytics, but the storage and the compute processing are separate. Um, so what that means is that you can store data for, you know, very, very cheap and then use it at basically as a query engine to query that data very fast. Um, it also can, you know, parallelize the query. So it can take parts and kind of spread them out and, you know, do them, you know, in parallel instead of just one single strand, you know, sort of operation, which a database would use in, in most cases. Um, so that that parallelization is, is certainly one. Um, also things like Spark, I think, you know, uh, you know, those tools I mentioned are also fall under the serverless category, which if you're in cloud competing means you basically rent the server space or the compute power you need for the, the duration of that operation. And then it shuts down, right? So, you know, you're basically leasing it. It's more like an Uber, you know, you can use what you need during that time uh, compared to owning a car, which in you know, that database or service is always on. So, um, but I think the Spark services certainly fall in that cloud native kind of component. So like a patent Apache Sedona or something like that. Um, and then more and more the uh, those sort of distributed query services I mentioned, like Presto or Trino um, are also sort of uh, the clouds are turning those into sort of their own distributed query services that take advantage of serverless and things like that. What, what's really interesting about those and the data warehouses is that you can just sort of dump your files somewhere and you don't even need to like quote unquote import them into a database or data warehouse. It's just reading the files from that core location. And then you just use, it's basically a, a SQL query engine on top of that to look across multiple files. So that becomes very interesting because it sort of removes that first blocker that I mentioned. And especially when you're working at massive amounts of data, um, that became, you know, that can be a big uh, advantage. Right. I think it's really interesting, you know, be, being able to not just, you know, handle small data set, but being able to handle really large data sets and, and you know, SQL, but especially SQL having the you know, ability to to support this. So, I mean, we talked about, um, we talked a lot about, you know, special SQL you know, functionalities and what you can do with it and, and how you can get it. But could you maybe give an example of real world application of special SQL, maybe uh, maybe it could be in urban or transportation or maybe natural resource management that you have seen or what, you know, you've seen being used in the industry, for example, because I think people might want to say, okay, fine. Uh, I want to learn special SQL, but how can I use it? Right. What applications uh, can I apply, you know, special SQL to that's going to help. So, so could you tell us a little bit about the real world applications of, of special SQL? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many, um, which is the fun part. I mean, it's it's anything that you might you know do general GIS for, um, which is great. Um, some interesting ones that I really like are sort of you know doing spatial analytics for urban planning. You know, kind of looking at walkability or 
building networks, even using PG routing to do routing calculations. Um, this is something that we used uh, recently in a project with Cardo to look at um, and create a routing network or road network and say, imagine if this road was closed due to a natural disaster, um, how long might the detour be? Or if we closed it for construction, you know, how would that isolate specific communities and how long would they have to drive for? Um, so that's a really common one, um, enriching your data with, you know, census data or things like that. Uh, another very common one. So let's imagine you have two different geometry types. You know, you have your demographic data at one geometry level and another one at another geographic geographic level. And you have to figure out how many people live within that from the base layer. And you can kind of use a couple different functions to do that. Um, that's another very common you know, a use case for that. Um, natural resources is, is very prevalent as well. So managing multiple different layers and updating them as new data becomes available. Um, I've seen that, uh, you know, across multiple sort of, you know, uh, agencies that are, are global in nature to manage their geospatial data with a, a you know, a spatial SQL powered database. Um, and I think, you know, in, in the context of, you know, where we are, I, I was, and, uh, you know, um, talking about some, use cases that, you know, might be really interesting. I think one is I was able to uh, meet someone who came to our, the Cardo Spatial Data Science Conference um, in New York City. Um, and he kind of was talking about some of the work that he did. We, we met up after the conference, um, but he does sort of election monitoring um, in, you know, some uh, East African countries and, you know, manages and collects data. Um, people in the field actually collect the data and they submit it all and it goes into a spatial SQLy enabled database. So you can query and get reports from the field. And that's sort of that transaction-based model where there's lots of data coming in and it all centralizes in a, in a spatial SQL database. And then from there you can, you know, do your analytics and your dashboards and everything like that. So, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, sort of really powerful to do all these different you know, pieces. So, you know, Anything you can imagine, really, um, which is, you know, sort of uh, hard to put the bounds on. But I think um, I've seen I've seen it used for just about everything from telecommunications, um, you know, within government, uh, you know, within, like you said, you know, kind of resource planning, transportation, urban planning, um, you know, retail, uh, you know, advertisement and marketing. I've seen it used everywhere. Right. I think I think that's really interesting at. Uh, I'm already feeling, you know, really passionate about it already. Right? So, um, you you did mention something about uh, special functions, right? That are being used in special SQL. Could you um, mention some of them? I mean, you mentioned st underscore uh, intersects. Uh, could you mention some of them? How they used and which ones are your favorite? Which ones do you seem to use the most in your work? Yeah, there's I think a broadly a few different categories. There's a few for you know, geometry creation, you know, so creating points from other data or, you know, um, creating a polygon from, you know, a set of points or things like that. Um, so there's lots of different functions that can do that. Or, you know, if you have a different data type, like a GeoJSON in a file, or, um, you know, if you store your data as like well-known text or well-known binary, you can turn that into a geometry or geography within your um, within your spatial database. Um, there's also, you know, these geometric or geographic transformation functions that you might see. So transforming, let's say a polygon to a centroid or a point to a buffer or anything like that. Um, those, there's another set of, you know, sort of core functions around that category as well. Um, you know, I think the, 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 the ones that I use the most are the spatial relationship functions. Um, which is like you said, ST intersect. So you're basically looking for the 
relationship between two or, or more geographies. So if you think of, um, you know, is this feature next to this feature, does it touch it? Does it overlap it? Does it fully contain it? Does it just intersect? Is it, you know, anything like that you can kind of determine, um, you know, from, uh, from a spatial relationship function. So I, at intersects is kind of the, the go-to with that. I would say it's used the most, um, but there are other ones that are more specific underneath that as well. Um, you know, you can also do measurements. Um, you can measure, you know, different things like an area or a perimeter or a length. Um, you can create bounding boxes. So there's some measurement ones as well. Um, and then there's kind of like um, these sort of uh, functions that look at part of a geography, like how many points is a part of that, um, you know, uh, how many points is a part of a polygon or anything like that. So you can you sort of manip do more manipulation with with that. And there's a few more, you know, that, that's sort of scratching the surface. You know, there's functions for 3D data. There's a whole set of functions for raster data. Um, so there's there's lots more within that. Um, there, I don't have a, sp a specific one that I think I use the most. I mean, it certainly intersects or, or some of the spatial, you know, sort of relationship functions, I think, are the ones I use the most. Um, my favorite one is the one that I've learned recently. <laughs> I've had to look up for something I didn't know I can do. Um, so I always find that fun is like, ah, I never knew I could do that, but it's, you know, it's never let me down when I need to find some or a function of what I need. You know, I need to say, Hey, um, I have a random point and I have a set of lines, maybe railroads. Uh, can I find the, uh, the shortest distance between the two and find the exact point at which that shortest distance would touch on that line? And you can do it. You know, I was able to find the, you know, write a query to do that and find that point. And then you can do it over a couple, you know, tens of thousands of, of points on a map very, very quickly. So, you know, it's always the, 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 the thing, the next thing is kind of, I would say my, my favorite at that time. All right. Great. Great. Thank you for sharing that. So, um, there's always a need to, to improve performance when carrying out, uh, special, um, SQL queries, right. And, and I think that's where, um, the concept of special indices comes in. So, so what is that? Could you explain what special indices is and, and how you know, they improve the performance of special queries? Yeah, there, there's really two um, sort of groups of spatial indices or indexes. Um, the first is sort of what you would do as a spatial index on a database. And that, that's sort of a grouping or indexing, or, or better yet, a reference system um, within a database. And there's, there's multiple types within, uh, I'm going to use PostGIS as an example. Um, so there's multiple strategies to do this um, about how you index data. Um, you know, so there, there's, and, and even within a database itself, there's sort of... Uh, you know, uh, there's multiple types of, of indexing even within that. So this would be called spatial indexing broadly. Um, you know, you can create a generic index. You can create more specific ones using, um, there's like the, the, the GIST, G-I-S-T. Um, so there's a specific type within that. Um, R-Tree and, and lots of others, right? So there, there's different types you can do. And, you know, it's can't get into to too many of those covering that, but I've even, even seen newer ones uh, for search algorithms that are using some interesting, um, you know, interesting new methods that people are kind of coming up with to index data even faster. Um, the other one is sort of, you know, what we, we might, if you're in geospatial, know as a you know global discrete grid, which is a gridding system that covers the entirety of the globe. Um, and there's a few that have become popular. Um, there's uh, H3, which is originally developed by Uber. S2, which was developed by Google, and there's uh, QuadTree, which was developed uh, by Microsoft as a part of Bing Maps when they created it. And what that does is basically, 
turns a geometry or a part of a geometry into a string. And that string uh, will represent an area on the earth. Um, and, and for H3s, that's a hexagon. For S2s, that's sort of these you know odd sort of shapes. I, they're kind of hard to describe. Um, and then for uh, you know, quad bins, that's a square, right? So it represents that square. Now, the advantage of using those, especially for very large data sets, like very, very large numbers of points, is one is around data storage. So within a database, um, a point, um, I'll, I'll pull the example from Google BigQuery, because we recently did an analysis on that, um, is basically a point takes up uh, 40 bytes of data, right? You know, because it's, uh, I believe it's uh, per vertice 16 bytes plus a base of 24 bytes. So you have 40 bytes of data compared to a string, um, which is what an H3 is. And it's basically four bytes plus the length of the string. So that's 19 bytes. So it's half the data size, right? Um, the other thing is that when you're performing a spatial intersection or, or join, however you want to call that, um, doing that operation where you have to basically, if you think of all the steps first, to, you know, if I have my target polygon, I'll create a small bounding box around it just to quickly see, okay, do, what things fall within the bounds of this polygon and then actually do that overlap for each point to point or things like that for polygon to polygon. Uh, that can get to be a very large operation where if you're just joining two strings together to see if they're true or false, if they join, uh, that can move much faster. So those spatial relationships can move at an order of magnitude that's much higher. Now, the downside is that you know, it's not entirely accurate when you're filling in a polygon, but, um, you know, it can get very, very close. And we've had good success with that, um, especially with the extremely large data sets. So. Right. And I think it is it's nice that we are having all these different technologies to, to help, you know, support the handling of, of large um, data sets, you know, for when performing uh, special queries. And I think that's, that's, that's really good. So uh, could you, could you talk us through um, how, SQL supports the integration of, you know, different uh, special data sources and also how it, it allows the, the integration between special data and non-special data. Yeah, basically what's really nice about, you know, for example, PostGIS is that um, you can, it's a data source in, you know, GDAL or Ogre to Ogre, and you can, any data set you have there, you can basically push into PostGIS. Um, so it'll, you know, GDAL or Ogre to Ogre will handle the transformation for you. So that could be anything from a shapefile to a GeoJSON, KML, you name it, right? You know, you can, you can transform it into that. Um, you know, CSVs, the, the list goes on, right? There's lots of different data types that you can possibly pull in. So um, the integration is, is growing quite a bit in terms of what you can pull in uh, to, to actually integrate there. So when you talk about integrating the two, uh, you know, your geospatial and non-geospatial data, um, of course, when you're working with geospatial data, you're going to deal with every other data type under the sun. Um, you already have access to all of those functions and all those things that you can use to transform dates or, you know, clean up your data or, you know, work with string data and, you know, or look through and find, you know, fuzzy matches and so on and so forth. There's just so much there um, that's really accessible from the non-geospatial data side. So that's where the power really comes in is if you quickly need to modify some data, um, you know, G GIS tools aren't, aren't purpose built to like do all the other data cleaning that you might possibly need to do. Um, plus, more as more and more people are adopting databases and data warehouses, your geospatial data is sitting right next to them. So there's no more barrier of, okay, can you change this data, send it over to me in a CSV, I have to join that CSV to some 
geospatial file I have and oops, the data is updated. So I have to keep doing that again. Um, it's just all happening right in the same place. There's none of that taking place, which, which I think that's probably the most powerful part of it is that increase in collaboration. All right. Great. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, um, because special data science is, is on the rise. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, trying to get into that because um, they, they need to really analyze some you know, big data sets and all of that. And you did mention the role of SQL in uh, data engineering, right? Special data engineering. So, so how um, does the special SQL support analysis of special data in the context of machine learning and, and AI, dual AI for in particular? Yeah, more, you know, there's more and more packages being built to do machine learning, you know, within a database. So a lot, all the data warehouses that I mentioned have a machine learning component where you can do anything from linear regression to, you know, classification um, to more complex types of regressions like a, you know, a regression tree or a boosted tree model like XGBoost. So that's happening there. And I've seen some extensions like that that can do that within a uh, Postgres database as well. So, you know, I, I think, you know, machine learning really took off because you could do that in a Python environment. Like I made that sort of science really accessible. You didn't have to know all the statistics and all the math behind it. It was just kind of there. And of course, you know, there's lots to learn just to learn that. But um, if you're already working in a database setting and you need a pretty, you know, a model just to test some things out, um, that's right there ready for you to use. So it, it even removes another step of, okay, I prep my data. Now I have to get it into Python and into a you know pandas data frame or a geopandas data frame to do some sort of, you know, uh, machine learning uh, function. So that's one advantage. The other one is that that data, if it's live and changing, you don't have to move your model anywhere. You can just keep running it in the same place. Um, and, you know, the good part, especially about the ones in the data warehouses, these are being developed by, you know, Google and AWS and um, all of that, that they're, you know, there's really smart folks work, you know, thinking on and working about that, you know, so I think that's really interesting too. Now, of course, that's, you know, there's, there's <laughs> potential, you know, issues with that as well, with, you know, all one company is kind of controlling it all, but I think they're just making it more, more accessible and using the open source tools that are already being put out into, you know, into space. So I think it's not like they're having some proprietary model that is using what, is open and and you know tested already within a database or a data warehouse setting. Right. Thank you. So so that's it. You know we've talked about a lot. You know we talked about the features of Special SQL and and a lot about how you can get it and where you know you can access it and different ways that is being used and and why people should use it. But let's just you know do a little bit of a summary here, right? So why why should someone learn Special SQL and who should learn it? Right. Apart from, you know, just learning about who should it, because people might be listening like, okay, my job role, does it require me to learn? Should I learn it? Right. So who really should learn special as you go on? Why should they, you know, get on board to understand how this works and use them, use it in their, in their workflow? Yeah. The, the two groups I think that can benefit from it quite a bit. And, and then there's one sort of generic statement, I would say. Um, but I would say anyone managing you know, sort of large amounts of geospatial data um, and preparing it or cleaning it or aggregating it or doing anything like that, I think a spatial database is, is incredibly valuable, right? And you can kind of keep multiple vintages of data up to date. Um, you're not having to sift through multiple files. Um, it can get very efficient to actually do that um, and even manipulate or change, you know, geometries and, and that type of thing. So like I said, you know, if you're, even if you're using a traditional um, 
you know, sort of GIS toolkit, you can still connect to a database and keep that very accessible um, and expose that to the other group, which is the the analyst. So if you're doing any sort of spatial analytics, um, I, I think it's it's really going to become imperative to have that as a skill. Um, just more and more as data science is incorporating SQL, and now the general analytics space is also, you know, kind of using has been using SQL for a long time. I think you know any GIS analyst that's using that data to join or aggregate or produce maps or anything like that, uh, SQL is just going to be you know turn you into kind of a, a data wizard where you can quickly you know join and adjust and aggregate. You can just do so much, and bit by bit you'll just build that skill set out. I mean. If you think it, you can do it in SQL, right? And um, it, it's hard to sometimes translate that thought, how you think through an analysis into SQL. But I mean, let's, for an example, let's say I have a set of locations, uh, you know, uh, maybe they're stores and I want to find the three nearest things to those, um, you know, and then rank them and spit that out as an Excel. So I, for each location, I have one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then pull all the other data with that. You can do that. I mean, there, there's ways to just, you know, write that into SQL. So, you know, you can kind of ask those questions and how you translate that into a database language. Um, that, that That's probably the part that takes some work and, and some learning. But I think those two areas are, are key. And then if your data is getting too big, you know, your, your maps are getting clunky, <laughs> they're hard to see, you know, and loading data is painful or you have too many files, a database is a really good solution. Um, I, I think just the, the, the larger the data gets, uh, the easier it is to go to a database setting. So um, if, you, if you're sitting there with tons of files and folders on your, on your computer or in, in some other location, or if your data is just, you're pulling it in and eventually it's just like, I can't even load this in my, in my desktop, that, that's kind of, your, your computer's telling me you, I'm running out of memory. You know, it's, it's, telling, it's trying to tell you something. Um, so that's another good time to say, ah, a, a database could do this and I could produce those analytics. And then, you know, how to jump in. You know, there's lots of tools to visualize that data now from QGIS to many others. We do, at Carta, we do that with, um, you know, the, the data warehouses and even PostGIS for, for web purposes. But there's so many different ways you can go with that. So analytics, um, sort of anyone managing geospatial data. And then if your data is getting too big, uh, I think, you know, that's a, a good, good reason to check out spatial SQL. Right, I fully agree with that. Uh, uh, the kind of question that you know was thinking about just just now. You were talking. Uh, you did mention something about uh, data visualization, right? And so, how how does um, SQL, uh, special SQL, support data visualization and cartography, right? Considering the fact that you know you're not able to to see things when you're writing the code, right? So, how do you? Um, that sounds like a drawback, but I don't think it's really quite a drawback. But how do you start seeing the things that you're doing in special SQL? Yeah, the database alone is the database, right? Um, you're going to need some sort of client to, um, or, or you know, visualization tool to see that. Um, QJS is certainly one. Um, PG Admin, uh, which is sort of the administrative end of uh, PostGIS, you can also use. It has a very, you know, pretty simple geo, you know, visualization kind of component within it. Um, as does DBeaver, which is, uh, you know, a pretty robust suite of database and data warehouse management tools. Um, you can certainly you know, write and query, write queries to PostGIS from uh, GeoPandas and, of course, visualize that in, you know, a GeoData frame or use any of the visualization toolkits um, that are provided, you know, in the Python ecosystem. Um, I, I recommend checking out LeafMap, um, which is a really, basically brings all of those into one place so you don't have to, you know, search and scour the web for all these visualization tools. It's all kind of right there. Um, so you can use any of those. Um, and then uh, web-based, that's what we've been doing at Cardo is to say, you know, um, you can query that data and very quickly um, visualize that in a map. 
the other method, of course, is map tiles. So when your data gets large enough, you have to create tiles to efficiently visualize that on the web. And the good news is, you know, um, PostGIS supports, you know, tiling within it sort of as uh, specific tiling methods to create raster or vector tiles. Um, and then you can, you know, there's open source tools to render those tiles and, and turn them into a, a visualization that you can use in any web map that you have. If that be Leaflet or Mapbox, wherever that might be, you can do that. And same thing we did at Cardo to do that is to do that tiling and embed it within the data warehouse. You can do that at that massive analytic scale to create tile sets from you know, millions and billions of records um, that you might want to. So, you know, you can really scale it up and, and do all those things there. So those are the visualization methods. Um, you know, I recommend kind of starting with QGIS and maybe PG Admin or DBeaver and going from there to, you know, uh, and grow as you need to, right? But you, know, you can still see the map and style the map and create it in the way that you want, but you just need that extra tool to do that. Right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's interesting that you also did mention LeafMap. And sure, uh, I think I saw one of the recent posts on LinkedIn where you mentioned LeafMap. And I think, I think that that, uh, that tool is really growing in, in usage. And I think that's that's, that's interesting to, to see. So let's talk about how someone can get started with uh, learning SQL, right? Because we've talked a lot about, you know, why you should learn it, who should learn it, and, you know, the functionalities and, and powerful abilities of special SQL. So how can someone learn SQL? Are there any resources that you could recommend, any tutorials that, that you think? I mean, you didn't mention at the start of the podcast, but could you um, reiterate that and, and so that people can actually, who are interested, could know where to start from and start getting your hands into uh, SQL? Yes, yeah, so there's a few different places to start. If you want to learn generic SQL, um, I have a, a, a YouTube video that I put together with my favorite resources. And, and there's quite a few that are both generic SQL, but also for spatial SQL. There's great resources to, you know, uh, you know actually use and, and, you know, understand SQL. Um, so there's a lot of places you can go to do that. Um, so I definitely check out uh, those resources to learn just SQL, the language to start with. Um, I put together some tutorials that I really liked. I have a list on my website. It's just uh, forest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T dot N-Y-C that has sort of a full list. Um, but kind of like I mentioned, there's no one place to just, you know, learn all these things, you know, in one spot. But, um, you know, I, I, I was sort of approached by Locate Press uh, to um, actually work on and solve that problem. So um, I'm working on a, a book with them. Uh, you know, just focused on spatial SQL, primarily focused on the analytics side to actually use it and learn the language and then walk through real, real world use cases and, and, you know, get set up and started. So we're, we're hoping to launch that of, of spring of this year, 2023. Um, so that'll have kind of all of that in one place. So, um, you know, it's a, a project I'm working on. I'm pretty excited to get out there because uh, it's just kind of helps to put those things that I see as gaps and, and kind of start to address them and getting them in one place. So um, all that said, there's, there's so many resources you can use, um, you know, and, and definitely check out the, the video on the website. Cause I, th that's where I put all my favorites in, in kind of one spot to, to get going. Yeah. yeah great. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to add uh, the links to, to these on the show notes and uh, it's really interesting and impressive that you're doing that, uh, you know, this project with Locate Press. And I think a lot of people are going to be interested in, in, in the book. Uh, I think it's going to, to fill that gap a lot. And uh, thank you for, for, for that as well. Thank you to Locate Press as well. Yeah. Um, so um, let's talk about the future, right? So how do you see the future of special SQL and special databases evolving in the coming years? And, and I mean, we're seeing a lot of developments. I mean, we talked about, you know, more tools being added to, to support special uh, SQL. So what do you think uh, is the future and what, and 
I mean, for example, the potential impacts that you see in the geospatial industry um, when it comes to special tickle and using that for analyze special data. Yeah, I, I think usually when there's a wave of, of new technology or, or something that moves through um, the general analytics space or the technology space, it usually hits geospatial like, you know, three to four years later, right? So data science wave, you know, started in, you know, in, in generically in, in the 2012, 2013, and then, you know, 2015, 16, 17, that started to hit into, you know, the spatial data science. Um, I think uh, after that, you know, uh, SQLs really has caught, you know, that wave in, you know, uh, 2015, 16, 17. So I think, you know, we're starting to see that now. And, and um, you know, it really caught fire, I think, in 2018, 2019. So that wave is starting to crash now in terms of spatial SQL. So I, I really think it's going to be more widely used. I think more people will start to use it and want to use it. Um, I just naturally, as data is getting much larger, um, they'll be able to use it. And I think it will start with, you know, those two use cases, maybe some analytics or spatial joins and things like that at, you know, at scale. Um, and then moving into some of those more advanced things like doing spatial modeling or machine learning bit by bit, that's going to kind of continue to increase. And then uh, doing that spatial data engineering, if you're, you know, you know, I think one of the most complex parts about geospatial is just managing that data. Um, and if you can join it, you know, that this, of course, is if your job is solely focused on geospatial, I think that will kind of continue to be if you're using more larger data. But especially if you're going into an organization that does a lot of other things besides just geospatial, um, you can kind of create a good, you know, uh, a niche for yourself to say, you know, hey, I know how to do this. Um, I can work with this data. I know how to do that within the data tools you're already using be it a database or a data warehouse. Um, so that gives you a really good edge to, you know, kind of focus in on. And, and you know, I think that data engineering wave is another one that's going to start to crash um, into the geospatial space here, here, you know, soon. So I think uh, more and more roles will start to use spatial SQL. I think it will, you know, improve the speed at which analytics are performed. Um, I think it's becoming far easier to get started. Like I said, you know, some of those hurdles that I mentioned at the beginning are certainly, um, you know, really starting to, to become a lot easier. So I, I think it's just going to become more and more a lingua franca of, you know, of geospatial. Um, and then most importantly, improve collaboration with people who are not using geospatial data. So those, those barriers that might've existed before are just slowly starting to, to go away. Oh, well, thank you so much. I think uh, a lot of us are actually looking forward to, you know, this, this great future. And then if you're listening and you, you think that you want to be a part of this, I think it's, it's about time you start learning uh, special SQL and, you know, start getting used to it. So um, how can someone, you know, get in touch with you if they want to maybe have a more, more conversation about, about stuff? How can they uh, reach out to you? Yeah, the best way is, is LinkedIn. Um, I try to share stuff on a pretty regular basis uh, there. Um, so if you just search my name, Matt Forrest um, on LinkedIn, um, you can find me there. Um, I'll send a link as long as well, so you can grab that. Um, my website, like I mentioned, um, you know, you can can reach me there. Um, but those are the two places I, I do it the most. I've also been posting some videos on YouTube. Um, so, you know, I, I try to do that. It's a little bit more work to, to edit a video, but um, I found it to be pretty fun and engaging as well. So um, those are the three big places. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, I, I, all my stuff through Cardo, um, you know, you can uh, check us out at cardo.com, um, you know, where we post a lot of technical tutorials that aren't just focused on our product. We, we rely so much on, on spatial SQL that a lot of the tutorials we put out there are just on spatial SQL. So, um, you can check those out too. Um, but yeah, um, LinkedIn is probably the best way to, to, to get a hold of me. All right, cool. Thank you. I'm, I'll surely add links so, you know, listeners could, could look at it. Thank you so much. It was uh, great uh, having this conversation with you, Matt. Uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me.